Well, good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Between Tools will try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? It's 499-9526. And a 225 in front of that number will get you to us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. That's absolute fact. And we have a special treat this morning. We've got Mr. Bob McCarran, our roving reporter. <laughs> good morning, Bob. Good morning, Louis. And- Ryan, I'm here at Fairmont, Indiana. All righty. At the James Dean run with my 51 Mercury. Okay. All right. And as you know, there's lots of 49-51 Mercury's up here and a lot of cars from the 50s, early 60s, 40s, 30s. And as you know, James Dean drove a 49 Mercury in the movie. That's right. Without a Cause, 1955. That's right. And I'm here with Mr. Marcus Winslow. He is the first cousin of James Dean. And James Dean grew up on the farm that belonged to Marcus's dad and mom in right. Fairmont, Indiana. And he's first cousin. He was a young boy when Dean was in high school. Uh-huh. And what I'm going to do is turn you over to him and let him say a few words about the show and all. You can hear some of the music in the background, I guess. But Marcus here, he's got some nice cars on display and at his farm. He's got a restored tractor. He can probably tell you a little bit about that and a fire truck. And he's got a 56 Thunderbird, 56 Crown Victoria, 57 Ford Retractable. All right. And some other cars here, nice international truck. But here's Marcus. I'll turn it over to him. Good morning, Marcus. Hello there. Tell us a little bit about the Dean Run, just for people who don't know exactly what that is. Okay. This is the 34th year for the James Dean Run. Okay. It's a car show here in Fairmount, Indiana. And it's always on the last full weekend of September. Okay. Uh, Jimmy died in September 30th, 1955. Mm-hmm. So they always have it on the last full weekend. All right. And it's prior to 1980. All cars are prior to 1980. Okay. And they've got uh, street rods and customs and a lot of Mercury's. Yeah, I'll bet. Approximately how many cars are there, Marcus? I think they're probably around 2,000. Wow. Well. <laughs> so it's a big, big, big show. Yeah, you know, the weather's really nice, and that makes all the difference in the world. Oh, I imagine. What kind of things do you do at the Rod Run? Of course, they've always got music and mm-hmm. entertainment and a lot of craft booths and car part booths. And most people just walk around and bring their own lawn chairs. and kind of Take it all in. <laughs> yeah, take it all in, sit behind their cars, watch people go by, and... Uh, everybody seems to really enjoy it. Seems like every year it gets bigger and bigger. I'll bet. And folks come from all over the world. Yes, they do. Yeah, there are several people come to Fairmount this weekend. On the 30th, they always have a memorial service mm-hmm. for James Dean at a church he used to attend. And uh, a lot of people come from foreign countries just for the memorial service. Mm-hmm. And, of course, while they're here, they take it all in. And there's also a festival uptown here in Marion, or in Fairmount. Town is just crowded this weekend. Oh, I'll bet. And, of course, you have a website that tells people about the Dean Run, in case someone was interested, of course, a little bit too late this year, but maybe next year if you want to attend that as a vacation thing. There's a website that gives out information. It's generally the last weekend in September. Yes, last full weekend. Well, that's great. Tell us, you're an enthusiast on old cars yourself. What kind of cars do you have? I'm sort of a Ford guy. I've got a couple of Model A Fords, 28 and 29, and I've got 49 Ford that my dad bought new. Mm-hmm. And Jimmy used to drive it. Uh, he drove to the senior prom and uh, drove to high school occasionally. And 
And after he moved to New York, why, when he'd come back to visit, well, that's the car he'd drive. Mm-hmm. So we've got it, got it all restored. I've got a 56 Crown Victoria, a 56 Thunderbird, mm-hmm. and a 57 Ford Retractable Hardtop. Wow, so wow. you got quite a collection there. Yeah, yeah. Keep, keep you busy just trying to keep all those cars driven. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. It's hard to keep them all going. <laughs> Well, I got a good place to store them, so that helps. Well, yeah. I bet. Look, I, t- I look forward when I get up to that area of the country. I'm going to stop in and see you guys. It sounds hey, really, wish, really interesting. Hey, I wish you would. Well, I surely uh, will. Stop at the Historical Museum here in Fairmount. They're the ones that uh, sponsor this show. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of stuff in there on Jimmy. Got both of his motorcycles, his first motorcycle and his last motorcycle is on display. And mm-hmm. a lot of his clothing and racing trophies and acting trophies and just a lot of personal effects of his are on display in the museum so people enjoy seeing that year round oh i'll bet well look i sure appreciate you being with us this morning marcus okay i'm glad to talk to you well great thanks for calling in oh see ya Bye -bye. Uh bye-bye bye-bye all right well that was marcus wenzel as james dean's first cousin of course this is the 34th annual james dean run right bob mccarran who He's sort of our old car consultant. Sure. Been on the show a few times. Uh, Generally, when we're doing a pre-recorded show, uh, Bob will come in and fill that in for us. Right. So, some good information. We're going to our phone lines with Jack. Good morning, Jack. Hello, Lou. Yes, sir. Jack, I've been talking to you about my 91 town car. Yes, sir. And I have, you've suggested I take it to a tech. Well, I've taken it to four different techs. Wow. And nobody can find the problem why that dryer and evaporator keeps freezing up. Jack, I might need to take that thing down here to South Louisiana where they know how air conditioning works. (laughs) (laughs) I can't imagine that being too big of a problem, Jack. What I would do is start off back on ground zero. Just go back over the basics. Because generally when you've got a freeze-up condition, it's always going to be one of two things. Either the system is low on charge or there's a restriction somewhere in the line. That's basically the only two things that can do it. Now, the only way to charge that system is to evacuate everything out and then add the proper amount by content. You cannot go by the gauges. You can't read that. That's not going to give you the proper amount. Another problem you get into a lot of times, I know you've done a lot of work on this system, and it may have been worked on before you got it. If someone has changed a bunch of components, and each one of those components had oil in it, you may have too much oil in the system. All takes up room so that even when you get a proper charge, the system's actually overcharged. Almost okay. impossible to determine that. The only way would be to take all the components out, empty every one of them out, get all the oil out of the system, and then start off again with the right amount of oil and weighing the proper charge. Okay. But this is the way you're going to find that problem. Going in and saying, well, maybe it's this, maybe it's that, you'll be maybe in for a whole long, long time, as you well know. Yeah, you, you, we've evacuated the thing several times. Mm-hmm. We flushed the system out twice. Yeah, but see, that's not going to get all the oil out of it. Okay. You, you can have oil in the accumulator. You can have oil in the compressor. You can have oil in the evaporator core. You can have oil in the condenser. And if you got too much oil, then when you put the proper charge, the system's actually overcharged. Okay. So that would be one thing. Another would be any kind of a restriction. Now, I know you took an R12 system and converted it to 134A, and some systems just really don't like that. If it were me, I would do what I said first. I'd empty everything out, get everything out. But I would go back with R12 in that system. 
I mean, you can still buy all the R12 you want. You just got to pay for it. It's about 30 bucks a pound. Well, it'd be cheaper for me to do that. than Absolutely. Absolutely. And not only that, it's going to cool better. It's going to last a lot longer. See, the molecules of R12 are larger than those in 134A. Right. The 134A is going to leak out because you got rubber hoses. You know, the hoses are neoprene. They're not nylon like the later model cars. Yeah. That system's just not designed for R134A, and it's just not going to ever work as well. But I think what I would do is I would start out, again, from ground zero. I'd just disassemble the system. I'd drain all the oil out of it completely. Okay. Then I would get the proper amount of oil, go to a service manual, it'll tell you how much is supposed to be in there, and add the, the proper amount. The proper amount and the proper oil. Yeah, because there's two types. different oil types between 134A and the 12. Right. When you go back to 12, you're going to put the mineral oil back. And then go ahead and charge it up with the proper amount by weight. Okay. And I believe you're going to solve that problem. Well, hopefully. Well, we're, I, it's got a, It's going into on Monday morning. All and they're right. going to do some, I told them to evacuate the system again. Yeah, the only other option would be some type of a restriction in there, but I just can't believe that wouldn't have got found by now, because I know you've done an exhaustive amount of work on this thing. I just think that would have been caught. Well, uh, this has been going on for seven years. Yeah. Right. <laughs> the only other possible option, Jack, and I'm really scratching here, but if you don't get enough airflow through the evaporator, right. see, what an evaporator does, it doesn't produce coal. It removes right. heat. It's absorbing the heat in the car, the gas is taking it in, it's transferring it out to the condenser and giving it off, then it's returning back. If you don't get enough airflow through that evaporator, then liquid is going to be returned through it and you can start freezing everything up. The accumulator will fill up and freeze up. You're not adding enough heat to it so it has nothing to remove so the cold refrigerant keeps coming through. We had a theory, a thought. The car was in storage, it gets in storage every winter. Mm -hmm. I had mice in the car. Yes, sir. Is it possible that the mouse could have built a sure. uh, nest inside there, not covering maybe only 10%? Oh, sure. Well, it wouldn't even have to be that. Just if they block the airflow, or let's say they get something, some debris in there that keeps the door from right. opening or closing between the heat and the coal, and it doesn't duct enough air through it, right? then you'd have to have another car to compare it to that had, measure the airflow coming out of the vent, see how much is high, how much blows through. And then measure thing, I don't this. have much problem with the airflow. I mean, it mm-hmm. flows beautiful. Yeah, but you don't know if it's flowing through the evaporator core fully. Okay. You see, it may be flowing you're partially through the evaporator, but partially around it. So you're getting full air flow, but you're not getting flow. It would be a doggone mouse got in there. And <laughs> <laughs> it's possible. Thing, that maybe. definitely does happen, man. Those little rascals will get in there. They'll eat wiring. They'll mm-hmm. eat vacuum hoses. They'll eat everything. So Yeah. Yeah, but I would probably check those other things first. And then if that's not it, then the next step is going to be check your airflow. But it's just that can't be that big of an issue. I mean, in South Louisiana, we do tons of air conditioning work. I mean, you can't imagine how hot it gets down here. Air conditioning is not a luxury. It is an absolute necessity. It can be yeah. 100 plus for... Well, don't be surprised if I don't stop on your doorstep someday. <laughs> just drive it on now. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much. All right, Jack. Thanks for calling, man. Bye-bye. 499-9526. number if you want to be part of the Automotive Hour. Oh, Jack's been emailing for, I guess, about two or three weeks trying and to get this problem solved. Do you remember where Mr. Jack lives? He is from Ohio, I okay. believe. Okay, I was figured it had to be somewhere up north. He was talking about storing it for the winter. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, down here you could pretty much drive them year-round. Oh, yeah. Of course, like I was saying, air conditioning is not a luxury item in South Louisiana. Well, now, I, you got to kind of take that back. Yeah. You know? I don't know, man. 105 degrees, 95% humidity. 
And look, you I gotta be a tough guy. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't have air conditioning in a vehicle till I was uh, well into my twenties. I know, I know, me either. But you know what? I ain't going back. <laughs> <laughs> if I gotta work two jobs, I'm gonna have air conditioning mm-hmm. in my house and yeah. in my car. <laughs> yeah, the house, yeah, yeah. I can see the house, but the vehicle. As long as I'm moving, I'm good. Yeah. But and you know, two older cars. I guess I drove '55 Chevrolets, and the last one I had was there. I did put air conditioning in, yeah. but I drove them. I had old Bel Air hardtop, never had air conditioning in it, but. They had those two big old vents. You could pull those out. Yep. You had side windows. You had Crack the quarter windows. windows. Yeah, you could yeah, get some air moving in cars it. Cars today don't have that. Oh, I no. Mean, if you don't have air conditioning, you just go to yeah, sit there gonna, and stew. You're going to be hot. <laughs> be very, very hot. Right. So let's say we got to take a quick little break. Daryl, hold on. You'll be straight up after this break. West. Just a guy here for Agco Automotive with a few things that chap my hide lately. $150 jeans, vanity licenses that are too complex to read, billboards that say drive carefully. Think about that one. Child beauty pageants. I mean, let's go ahead and set these kids up for failure before they get to kindergarten. And how about when you try to be nice and let someone out in traffic and they won't go because they're talking on the cell phone? Here's a message for you. Put the phone down! Another thing that chaps my hide is repair shops that use Swaptronics to fix your car. That's where they can't pinpoint the exact problem, so they just change parts, hoping to fix something, which means your repair bill could double. The experts at Agco determine the exact problem, then fix it right the first time, at the price quoted, which does not chap my hide. Want more info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco, it's the place to go. This week. Hey, welcome back. If you join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Free and Tools, try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? We're going to our phone lines with Daryl. Good morning, Daryl. Good morning. How are you doing? Doing great, sir. Good morning, sir. I have an 05 Envoy. Okay. And I've got 130-something thousand miles on it. Mm-hmm. I bought it used. Lately, when I accelerate, not all the time, but every now and then when I accelerate, it gets very sluggish. It's like there's possibly the fuel filter blocked or something there. But when I turn the air off, it doesn't do it. Did that one have a cutoff switch on the air oh, conditioning? No, nah, I don't think so. I don't remember. I would possibly think could be a fuel filter plugging up on that one, Darrell. What year model is it? An 05, but why would it only do it when the air's on? Well, it's just more load on right. the engine, more fuel requirement whenever you got the air on. The only other thing I can think of, if you've got a ground somewhere that is either not properly making up or partially making up, when you turn the ground on, you could be overloading the circuit and it may be cutting power to something that you need. But again, that's going to be very difficult to locate the first thing you need to do is go in and just do a fuel pressure test on the car that's falling down simple and you cut your air on accelerate and power bogs down your fuel pressure drops then you know you're in the right area if the fuel pressure maintains while it bogs you can forget that and start looking for something else but that's sort of where you're gonna have to start looking you're gonna have to start doing some tests on it to narrow down which of the ten thousand things that can do that is happening on your car and not only doing the test but understanding the results correct because even if the fuel pressure drops down doesn't necessarily mean the pump is bad right it could be a restriction line it could be a bad fuel pressure regulator it could be a bad power ground to the pump i mean on and on and on and on well but, i'm noticing that the rpm the dual flotch on the dash doesn't move it doesn't waver one way or the other when it does have the sluggish moment 
Yeah, if your uh, RPM is not moving, then the engine is likely not responding. Now, it could also be something in your drive-by-wire because that should have an electronic throttle body on it. And it could be some crud in that, but that should set, set a check a, engine light, right. although it may not. You know, like I say, you could have some electrical interference going on. That's going to be one of those deals you're just going to have to get someone who's real sharp and have them check it and see. I mean, if they can duplicate the problem, you know, if it does it all the time, every time you turn the air conditioner on and accelerate, you'll find it. If it's one of those things that happens once a week, then the odds of finding it are pretty slim. Oh, no, it's all the time. Yeah, if it happens all the time, yeah, you should, should be, be able to find it. I mean, I would start out, I would do a voltage drop test on the system grounds, see if all the grounds are making up properly. And that's relatively easy to do. If it's not, then it gets kind of hard because you got to isolate which one or ones or not. But, I mean, you could have something like one ground lead or one power lead that's got two strands of wire left out of 40, and it can conduct enough electricity until you turn the AC on, and then it draws it down too low, and so some modules start shutting down. Maybe the tack module shuts down, or the accelerator pedal sensor starts getting scrambled, or you just get some crud on the line, and it's just ignoring the accelerator response. If, it, if the RPM are not going up and when you're accelerating, that almost sounds like your throttle is ignoring you. No, 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 sir. When I say they're not, it doesn't move one way or the other, meaning it's not dropping, it's maintaining its RPM. Yeah, if you're maintaining RPM, though, and the truck is not going, then you're not getting throttle response. All right, well, thank you so much. All right. Have a good day. Uh-huh, bye-bye. Bye. All right, 499-9526 number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Eye, we'd love to have you. And we got... Morning. Hey, man, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, this is Ed from Spokane, Washington. Hey, yeah, how, hey, you, how doing, you doing? Man? Good, good. How are you? Doing great, Very man. Well. I have a 93 Honda Civic. Mm -hmm. uh, the upper right ball joint is, I can see it rocking when I checked it the other day. Okay. And I was looking at parts, and it looks like I can buy a quality ball joint for the upper right for about 45 bucks. Mm -hmm. And I can get the control upper control arm for with the ball joint for about 85 bucks, same brand. Okay. And if I change out the ball joint, I need to get up I need to buy a ball joint separator. And I'm thinking it might be just easier and in the long run easier for me to just change out the whole upper control arm unless there's an easy way to get that upper ball joint off. Not real difficult to get off, Ed. What you would have to do is it takes a little bit of finesse to keep from damaging anything, but basically you just take the nut off of it, get everything out of the way, take a large hammer and just wrap that knuckle and that ball joint is a taper fit it will separate if you go on my website and look up taper fit they'll give an article and it'll show you how to actually do that that's okay. the easiest way to do it but now, even if you put a control arm you'll still have to break the ball joint loose from the knuckle right that being said you want to take the nut off the ball joint down to about where the pin goes through it and leave mm -hmm. the nut on the stud so when okay. it does come apart it doesn't fly apart the nut stops the joint from going all right. the way out of the knuckle because there's going to be tension on those arm bushings, and if you don't leave that nut on there, that arm's going to fly up, the knuckle's going to fall off, and yeah. probably pull the inner CV joint out. Could pull the joint out of right. transmission, or it could so break a brake line or just something. Just by leaving that nut on there hand tight, when the taper does come loose, all that stays together. Right. Then you can just put a little pressure on it, take it hand off. Hand pressure down on the right. arm and take your nut off, and it's um, now a lot as, easier. As far as changing the arm, you actually have to open the hood. The right. bolt going through the front control arm bushing is fairly easy to get to it's right there on the front of the apron the one in the back is a little more difficult because you've only got like two or three inches to work with between the back of the apron and the firewall to get that bolt to come out okay mm -hmm. if i'm not mistaken 
they changed that in a certain year, and I don't remember which one it was, but they actually put the bolts on the inside on some of them and the bolts on the outside on the others. You just have okay. to look at it and see which way it's it's put together. But as far as the ball joint and the arm assembly, if that ball joint on the right side is bad, the one on the mm. left side has been down the same road. Yeah, may not and be too far it behind may not it. be too far behind. If I was going to do one, I'd do them both and be done with it. Yeah, a lot of times too, if you put one new ball joint on, it may actually start handling a little weird because one's going to be nice and tight and the other's going to be a lot looser, and you can mm-hmm. get some handling characteristic problems. Not always, but sometimes. I mean, just check it on real good. If it feels perfectly good, no slack, the bu- like boot brand is, new. Yeah, the boot's, boot's not, not busted. busted. You might go ahead and just, just change the one. one. But most time, like Brian said, they've both been down pretty much the same road. So when one's bad, the other one's generally not too, too terribly far behind it. Okay. And then that, do I need to get a front-end realignment then? I would because no two ball joints are going to be precisely the same. Even though they are tightly manufactured, they're not going to be exactly the same. And it will change the alignment slightly, which could eat up a set of tires before you know it. Okay. All right. Hey, yeah, hold on during the break, and I'll get your name and your phone number. I'll get an Agco T-shirt out to you. Thank you, sir. Yes, sir. Right, Hold sir. on. That'd be, that'd be T-shirt number two. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> well, that ain't no problem. We'll do it anyway. How about that? Okay. All right. <laughs> Take a quick little break and be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Just a guy here for Agco Automotive with a few things I'm tired of. I'm tired of reality TV. There's nothing real about it. I'm tired of all those housewives, the Kardashians, the brides, the bachelors, celebrities in rehab. Here's an idea. Let's ship all the Flavor Flav's, Snookies, and Honey Boo Boo's off to a deserted island and watch America's average IQ jump up a few points. I'm also really tired of automotive repair shops that promote an $89.95 brake job and then hit the folks for 500 bucks and give them a lousy job. Listen to me. And take your vehicle to Agco, where you get quality work performed right the first time for a reasonable price. And that, my friends, is a reality. Want more info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldezan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Tune Tools, try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? And, of course, the Baton Rouge listening audience is kind of lagging behind there. Our first two calls from Ohio and How Washington about that, State. huh? <laughs> I tell you what, though, it's a pretty day today. Well, that's it. When you got a beautiful day out, I guess folks are out. Yeah, been at work doing, all week and doing other stuff than sitting home listening on the radio. <laughs> that's a shame. You know, a lot of great information is coming out that's here today. Right. That's right. <laughs> Go ahead and give us a call, other than just sit here and listen to us jack our jaws back and forth. That's it. And, you know, <laughs> should you happen to be out underneath the hood of your car right now and miss us on the radio, you can always send Lewis an email and get your questions answered any time of the week. That's right. In fact, you can just go to our website. Its address is www.agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. There's a contact bar on each and every page. You can send Lewis that email, and he'll get it back to you within 24 hours. That's right. And I put an article in this morning, a little different from anything I've done before, and it's why we drive on the right-hand side of the road. Really? Yeah, and most of the world does drive on the right-hand side of the road. And there's okay. some notable exceptions to that. Of course, England and a lot of the British affiliates, I guess you would say, drive okay. on the left-hand side. Even when you go down to the Bahamas, like Nassau, they drive on the left-hand side because that was owned a by British, Great Britain. Right. Great Britain territory, territory I guess, at one there you time. Go. 
And so they still drive on the left-hand side, but the vast majority of the world does drive on the right side. And this goes into some of the explanations behind why some in, do one and some do the other. And actually, I guess there's no real benefit to one or the other. It's just whatever you get used to and whatever your system is set up. As long as you sure. ain't driving left when everybody else is driving right, then <laughs> that might be a bit of an issue. But Yeah, well. And even before there were cars, I think people in the colonies were moving on the right-hand side of the road from the historical records that we could see. And the first cars that came out had tillers on them rather than a steering wheel. And a okay. tiller was like a wagon. It came up in the center of the car. So theoretically, a person could drive from either side. Right. You could sit on the right or you could sit on the left. and Didn't matter. Didn't matter too much because I guess most people are maybe right-handed, so maybe most people sat on the left and steered with their right arm, which is a stronger arm. But okay. when Henry Ford decided to build his car, he decided to put a steering wheel on it rather than a tiller. Which and moved it to one side or the other. He had to put it on one or the other. Some of the earlier cars, like some of the curved dash Oldsmobiles, actually the steering wheel was on the right-hand side. No kidding. It was just a matter of choice at that point. You know, Either one would work. And right. That's just what Henry decided to put it on the left. And the story of the legend goes... He was thinking about the ladies because most ladies would probably be a passenger in the car, and that way you could pull up and let them out on the sidewalk so they wouldn't have to get out in the nasty road because uh -huh. most roads were dirt and nasty. And Right. He was a real innovative thinker, wasn't he? <laughs> That's right. And, of course, as Henry Ford went, so went the world because sure. he built Everybody. so many cars. That right. It, he was basically the leader at that point oh, in automobile. By a wide, wide margin with the T-Model Ford, that pretty much car dominated that era. I don't know if you've ever read his story. I've read a few of them. I, I've read a couple of them, and mm -hmm. it's, it's been a while, but he was a real innovative thinker. I yeah. mean, he, he thought of things that, you know, they're just thinking of today. Yeah, probably just thinking. They could use him back at Ford today, I guarantee you. That's for a fact. That's for a fact. First thing you do is go, whoever invented the 5.43 valve, choke, <laughs> choke him to death. So. <laughs> Let's go to our phone lines with Willie. Good morning, Willie. Good morning. Good yes, morning. Sir. Simple question. 2010 Chevy Impala. Mm -hmm. When I rotate the tires, do I need to be aware of that sensor for the air pressure? Does that affect it when I rotate them? That in 06 mandatory, late 06, early 07, and what it does is it actually checks the tire pressures on each wheels as the vehicle's moving down the road. Each one of them has a different reset procedure, and some vehicles require that you reset it after a rotation, some don't. Most of your imports don't have a, a rotation procedure as far as resetting it. Now, yeah, all, your domestics, reset. all your domestics do. A lot of times you have to have a special tool. And know how to get into the system to actually relearn the position of the wheel sensors now, yeah. tire pressure. Yeah, some of them you can do without a special tool, but it's a procedure of maybe turning the lights on, doing this, doing that. It's some type of, it's generally going to be a pretty involved deal. If you look in your owner's manual, it should tell you how to do it if it can be done without a scan tool. Most GM cars can be. I know some of them you have to go in and... Like turn the headlights on, turn the headlights off, hit the brakes, do this, do that on each wheel. Some of them even require you to lower the pressure slightly in a tire and then raise the pressure back up so that it can see that change and know what position that tire is in. Really a lot of complexity, in my opinion, for something that's almost a useless system, but that's how our government going to protect us. So, Okay. But All I right. think on that 10, there is a reset procedure once you rotate tires. Yeah, I'm pretty sure okay. there is. And we've got just a box of different tools that we use to set them. Some of them you can use a factory scan tool. Some of them have a different tool. Some of them you can put a magnet by the valve stem. I mean, I, I wish they could have standardized that, but they didn't. Every one of them is just a little different. Even between the same manufacturer, different line, 
the reset procedure is yeah, different. different models will be different. I tell you what you could do is go ahead and rotate them, go drive it, and see you'll know pretty fast because the light will <laughs> pop on if so, and then you can do it. But some of them will actually reset themselves. They'll just relearn. I know most of the imported cars, like your Toyotas and stuff, will relearn on their own. Okay. All righty? All right. Thank you. All right, Willie. Thanks for calling, man. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. 499-9526 number. If you want to be part of the automotive eye, we'd love to have you. There is so much complication in those tire monitors nowadays until it's, it's ridiculous, the, the equipment you have to have just to reset that. Yeah, and some of them, I know some of the Nissan products, without a factory scan tool, you're not going to reset it. Right. You're laying light's going to come on, and it's going to bug the devil out of you. And at one time, they were charging, I don't know, upwards of $100 to rotate tires just because they were the only ones who could do it. Uh-huh. Of course, we've got the Nissan Factor 2. We can do it for you, too. But Correct. There's just, to me, kind of ludicrous to put that kind of complexity yeah, into just, a system. Just to check tire pressure. And yeah. then, it, then it really doesn't check the most important, in my opinion, is the spare tire. Yeah, most of them don't check the most spare. Most of them don't check. It's only a four-channel system. Now, your Toyotas and I think maybe your Hondas. Or actually a five-channel now. Mm-hmm. They will actually the check the spare tire for you. Well, yeah, if I just had to have a sensor on anything, I'd want one of my spare tire because that's something I ain't going to look at all the time, and I want to know if it's inflated when exactly. I need it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I can look of, at the tires on the car. <laughs> yeah, most of the time the spare is buried in the trunk anyway. Well, that's right. It's hard to see, and it's the one that's really most critical, at least to me. Sure. Let's go to the phone lines with Marvin. Good morning, Marvin. Yeah, good morning, Lewis. I drive a 2004 Chevy Silverado, mm-hmm. and I just noticed that when I mash on the brakes, it seems like the front is starts to vibrate. Okay. okay. Yeah, that's not an uncommon problem, Marvin. Normally, you'll feel that maybe at about 50 miles an hour when you come down on them kind of moderately hard, and your steering wheel wobbles back and forth in your hand. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's called brake shutter. And we could talk for probably four days on what can cause it and what does cause it. I can tell you the most common causes of it Number one is if anybody's ever done any brake work on your car or brake, you know, change the brake pads, if they didn't put the GM pads back on, if they put an aftermarket brake pad, that's probably the number one cause of the rotors warping. Well, that's what happened. Yeah, GM manufactures yeah. a pad specifically for that vehicle, and it's got the exact right coefficient of friction. You go and put some of that, and we can't use names, but some of these aftermarket pads are different, man. They're made to be last a long time. They're real hard, and they warp the rotors. Another thing is driving through high water. If you drive through water six, seven inches deep, those rotors are almost 400 degrees, and they'll warp if they hit that cold water. Another is if the rear brakes aren't working fully, then the fronts get overheated because they're doing, doing all too the work. much work. I tell you, to fix it, Marvin, you're going to have to replace the front rotors. And oh. there's people who are going to tell you you can turn them and all that stuff. I'll tell you, i got five brake rotor turning machines in my shop, and I cannot stop that by turning the rotors. Right. We've because used they're already too thin, and when you turn them, you're making them thinner, and it's a heat problem. It's going to come right back. You can turn a little roughness out, but you're not going to turn a warp out. So, so I need to go back to the dealer to get the rotors? No, no you no, can sir. get a good rotor aftermarket. Rotor is just a piece of cast iron. As long as it's true, it's good, but you do have to go to the dealer to buy the pads. I would not put pad. aftermarket pads on. Yes, sir. I always buy my pads from OEM. Now, the rotors, like I said, any good quality brand of rotor, especially in the Deep South, it's not too big of an issue. If you start getting up north, some of the imported rotors don't have enough nickel in them, and they'll rust up if they're exposed to rose salt. But that's not an issue down here. So we can get by with an aftermarket rotor as opposed to somebody maybe in Minnesota somewhere. He's got to use the OEM rotor because those will just corrode up to beat the band. Okay, fine. So I appreciate that. I'll enjoy your show. All right, Marvin. Thanks for calling, man. Thank you. Bye-bye. 499-9526 number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd love to have you. And we've got Steve online. Good morning, Steve. Hey, good morning, guys. How you doing? Doing great, sir. Doing great. 
Good. I have a 2001 GMC pickup truck and okay. looking to pass it down to my son, who's mm-hmm. a first-time driver. Okay. My question is, the airbags, they're... 12, 13 years, are the airbag good anymore in that vehicle? Oh, yeah, as long as the light does not come on. The light, when you start the car, it's going to come on for a few seconds, go blink a couple times and go off. As long as that's occurring, then the airbag system is functional. What okay. happens, it tests a number of different things. Now, sooner or later, the light's going to come on and it's going to stay on because they have a part on there called a DERM, D-E-R-M. It's a Diagnostic Energy Reserve Module. And that has an internal battery in it. The reason being, let's say you got in a collision that was serious enough to rip the battery out of the car, that supplies the power, the auxiliary power to fire the airbag. Now, it's charged by the charging system in the car, and it lasts a long time, but sometime, like any battery, it's going to die, and when it does, you'd have to replace the derm, and the light will come on and let you know that it's not functioning. But as long as the light bulb checks like it should, you know, is when you start it, and then goes out, then the system's functional. Right. When the light comes on, it's going to actually leave a code, just like the the engine light leaves a code when it comes on. That system also leaves a code yeah. that you can go in and retrieve and find out what, where to start. The problem. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. So I didn't know that. So it actually checks the airbag it every time. It self-checks yes, every single key cycle. Yes, it, it does a complete self-check, and it's very comprehensive. Being a safety system, it checks the structural and electrical conductivity of all the wires it checks all the main components it checks charge on the derm it checks pretty much everything and all of the connections and all in that are actually have a gold plating on them to keep them from corroding so it's a pretty robust system i remember i used to teach some airbag stuff and back in the 1970s they were pioneering airbags if you remember that it never caught on at that time but they went back and found a 1970 model chevrolet that had been sitting in a junkyard for about 30 years Put a battery in it, hook it all up, crash test it, and the bag's deployed perfectly. Okay, good. So, hey, that's good news. Pretty robust system. Thank you, sir. All right, Steve. All right, Thanks, sir. man. Bye-bye. Okay, goodbye. 499-9526. Number, if you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd love to have you. We're going to take one last quick little break, and we'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Just a guy here for Agco Automotive with a little advice for those who overshare on Facebook. I know I friended you, but please, I don't need to know what you had for breakfast or where you just scratched. I don't need to know your Uncle Dominic's political beliefs or that your mom painted her kitchen the color called Frosted Fern. And for the last time, we don't care that your cat, Doogie Meowser, really looks like Neil Patrick Harris. Some more advice? In this tight economy, why waste money on a new vehicle? Stick with your older model and take good care of it to make sure it lasts. Come to Agco for quality maintenance and repair, and we'll save you from throwing money away on a big note so you can pay other bills or save for something else. In Facebook terms, that's something you'll definitely like. Want more info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Alvazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between tools, try to answer any automotive questions you might have. We still got several minutes left. We can get you an answer to your question. A good, complete answer to your That's question right. without having to rush you out of here. Complete and comprehensive. <laughs> <laughs> Give us a call. It's 499-9526. And we're talking to the gentleman a second ago about airbags. And 
That's one of those things I think is probably one of, if not the most misunderstood system on a car. Right. I do have to say that that is one system that is very robustly designed. It is. And like you were stating earlier, they started designing this system back in the early 70s. Mm-hmm. I can remember seeing a picture of a, a 70 Impala mm-hmm. with an airbag system in it. That's right. And, and like you were saying, it just didn't catch on well, or it got too expensive. Back or, then, we were more of a free market society where we put something in a car and let people decide, do you want this or do you not want it? And not many people were willing to pay for airbags uh-huh. when they had seatbelts because seatbelts basically even today are just as effective and cost a lot less. Sure. But with government intervention today, you don't have a choice. It's in there. Right. They just put it in there. It's like hey, everything else you, you got you're gonna in the have car. It, you're going to have it. You're going to pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> Whether you like it or not. And, and it's, I guess, the few people who are not going to wear a seatbelt, it'll save their life. So I guess maybe it's all worth it. I don't know. But everybody kind of pays a pretty high cost sure. for that. But not only do we have front airbags, we have side curtain airbags and even rear airbags in many, many cases. I've actually seen them in the seatbelt. Uh, mm-hmm. webbing now that's right so they're starting to get a lot more intrusive. involved yeah. intrusive yeah and a lot of them have multiple powers that wish they can deploy because they learned as they go along that some people are great big and heavy and some people are small and light so they actually have devices in the seat that calculate the weight of the person the passenger or the driver and they will right. deploy at two different rates and there's if you got a little small person there it's going to deploy at one rate if you got a big heavy person there it's going to deploy at a different rate So they even have some rudimentary intelligence to them. The only drawback, I guess, is that when these bags deploy, you can very easily total a car. Oh, most definitely. That with the combined what caused the bags to go off in the first place. So you're talking thousands and thousands of dollars to get this car back together. Yeah, it takes a 12-mile-an-hour impact, and generally a 12-mile-an-hour impact frontal, and I think it has to be 15 degrees off center either way. Uh Uh-huh is going to do pretty significant damage in and of itself. Sure. Even if you've got seatbelts on and no airbags, you can have a fairly hefty repair bill just to put the car back together. And then when you add two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, ten, count the number, airbags coming out at 1000 bucks a piece. That and seatbelt tensioners, you know, Pre- things like that. tensioners on a seatbelt. Right. That's another device that's almost like a shotgun shell that is inside the seatbelt mechanism, and when the bags deploy, this thing fires and drives a pin through that seatbelt and locks it solid. So right. It, so it can't extend anymore right. to keep the uh, occupant tucked in, into the seat. That's right. And I guess it's all good in a way, but it's all very, very expensive technology. Well, and you wonder why cars cost fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000 nowadays. Well, that's right. And why, when you have a what you consider a relatively minor collision, they total the car. <laughs> sure. It, I tell you what, though, it takes a lot to total a, a new vehicle. Well, it, a it costs so much. Because it costs so much mm-hmm. in the first place. Mm-hmm. It, it takes an awful lot of, of money, even if they get reached you know, almost half the, the cost of it is still not total. Yeah, a lot of times they will go ahead and repair it. And actually, I don't want to give away my next week's article, but I'm writing an article on that very topic next uh-huh. week about when a car is wrecked, some things that you need to do to ensure that you're getting a quality job. And I'm not going to give any more of it away right, right. now, but uh, that's coming up next week on the detailed topic. Look topics. forward to seeing that topic come up. There you go. And to give you a little bit more information, some things maybe most people don't think about because most people don't have a wreck every day right hopefully (laughs) hopefully one or two in your lifetime will pretty much break you to habit you know (laughs) i know i know a few people that have been through uh several vehicles for that reason but we're not mentioning names today that's a whole nother story right there (laughs) 
But that's thing with the airbags, and a lot of folks are unnecessarily alarmed about airbags. For instance, when they go off, there's some a cloud of dust that floats around the car, and people, oh, it's hazardous, or it's this, or it's toxic. No, it's either going to be cornstarch or talcum powder. And what that is, it's put between the folds of the material in the airbag, because they realize these bags may sit for 10 years before they're used, right. they, they have don't... to have something to keep them sticking together. It's exactly. a nylon mesh. They don't want them to grow together, basically. So they put either talcum powder or cornstarch or something, and that is the dust you see flying around the car when they deploy. Right. Other people are concerned about the noise of the bag deploying. Is it going to hurt my ears? Well, if you ever heard the sound of a collision, it happens real quick and you don't remember it, but if you ever stood there and watched cars being smashed into something, because uh-huh. I've, I've seen them actually smashed into the sleds, and let me tell you, it is one roaring racket. Oh, yeah, yeah most definitely. <laughs> that airbag is going to be the least of your problem with noise. <laughs> but, yeah, I don't know what the decibel count is on a collision, but it is very, very, right. very loud when you smash two cars into each other. So, again, that's really not a big concern either. Airbags are probably one of the most tested systems that have ever been put into automobiles. Well, because they're so intrusive when they do go off. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't want to miss going off unexpectedly or or not when they're supposed to Mm -hmm. or when they're supposed to. They want them to go off like they're designed to do. Right, and the timing on that bag is absolutely critical. It senses the collision, but it actually delays a few microseconds to allow you to start moving towards it, and then it starts to inflate, and it doesn't just pop out instantly. It starts to inflate and come at you, and by the time you and the bag make contact, it's already starting to deflate. Exactly. So what happens, it comes up, and you hit it, and it starts going down at the same time, which absorbs the forward momentum of a body that would be moving because – when you're going 60 miles an hour, your body is moving 60 miles an hour. The car comes to a stop where well, your head is still moving 60 miles an hour. Exactly. It would be like hitting a brick wall if it came out and was solid. That's right. And, of course, if you don't have a seatbelt on and you don't have an airbag and you kiss that windshield at 60 miles an hour, that's going to be a... I've seen a few of them windshields, too. <laughs> that's going to be a memorable moment. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if you survive that, it. Oh, boy, I tell you. Yeah, it can be real, real, real nasty. So this is the reasons why they put these in, just because people won't wear a seatbelt. And, of course, airbag is not a replacement for a seatbelt. Correct. It is a supplement, supplement to, to a seatbelt. Correct. To give you extra added protection. But if you've got a full contact seatbelt on, in, worn properly, installed properly, you could probably get by without the airbag because it's going to sure. restrain you in the car. And, and most of your vehicles from the early 70s on up have a three-point system now. That's right. A seatbelt system instead of just the old lap belt like the old 60s and even... I think it was an option in the 50s. Yeah, I think you could probably But it was mandated in the mid-60s, I believe, is mandated a, mm-hmm. a lap, at least a lap belt. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. a lot of your higher-end cars actually had a three-point belt That's back right. in the 60s. So anything you can do to actually upgrade the older systems to a three-point instead of just the lap belt is that much more protection you have. Yeah, when folks have an old car and they restore them, a lot of times they will go in and attach you know, a three-point seat belt. I actually did that in my Mustang. Mm-hmm. I, the 68 only came with a lap belt and we've actually upgraded it now to a three-point seat belt system yeah to make it a little safer retractable belt makes it comfortable and yep a lot safer for you of course most people don't drive those little cars all that fast they just kind of pull around in them but nonetheless but still good safety feature it is hey i see we're totally out of time we're going to go ahead and get on out of here we'd like to thank our podcasters for listening this week and every week tell your friends 
Go to iTunes, give us a written rating. That really moves us up in the ratings and makes us right more available. Makes our day, and also same thing with the folks who listen to us on Stitcher. We appreciate your ratings on there as well. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend. Mm-hmm.